I always feel like when you just say it out loud, it takes the power away of, mm-hmm. of and the overwhelming burden. And like sometimes we get our butts kicked, and we we get back up and we do it again because we love it, and and because it takes more than that to knock us down permanently. Episode one hundred and five. <laughs> Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and this podcast is here to highlight the amazing journeys of business women all over the world so you can find some great information and inspiration for your business journey. So excited to introduce you to my guest today, Megan Gage, who's the founder of Hot Tot Hair Care. These are hair care products that are specifically designed for babies and toddlers and kids that are not toxic at all. They're all natural. She's been featured in over 100 magazine and media outlets as well as being featured on Shark Tank and she actually got a deal with Mark Cuban. Now the format of this interview is going to be a little bit different because um, you know, usually I have kind of a, a conversation before my guest, before we start pressing record and before I say the formal like, hey, thanks for being on the show. But you know, as we were having this conversation beforehand, it was such a good conversation. So I just kept going. So there's no formal like, hey, Megan, thanks for being on the show. She's j- We just start talking and that's what you're going to hear because there's such gold in it right away. So enjoy this one. You're going to love it. I'm well, Katie. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Oh my goodness, you're welcome. And sorry, I had to cancel last time. Life gets so. Cr- and then the, today, I realized that I had double booked the space, and I thought <laughs> I am not canceling on this girl again. Like somebody else, I thought. I mean, what are the odds of doing that twice? Oh my gosh. Um, so I canceled on the other person. I thank was like, I'm not well, doing that to you again. It's no, totally thank you. I'm okay. So embarrassed. No, no, no. I well, I appreciate that. Thank you, but it's totally okay. Um, <laughs> I have. You would not believe. Like just because I deal with women, I mean, the majority of the time they are the ones taking care of the kids and they're having to work everything out and they're like please totally. I'm so sorry I was like listen I get it no worries yeah <laughs> just promise me you'll get back well, on the show please <laughs> <laughs> that's right we all are just doing the best that we can and I I always feel like when you just say it out loud it takes the power away of, okay. of and the overwhelming burden and like sometimes we get our butts kicked and we, we get back up and we do it again because we love it and and because it takes more than that to knock us down permanently, but there definitely are some canceled meetings. And I apologize. I have gotten really good at the art of the apology. Like, I'm so, so sorry, but this. I so. love that. I love that. I've gotten to a point where I'm like sick of hearing myself apologize for my screw ups. Like, I'm like, oh man, Me this is too. just so bad. Like, but then I'm also, I also like have a lot of forgiveness for myself. Like, for example, my email sucks right now, like really sucks. And so I'm like, yeah. like I do my best to try and find like the immediate things I need. And then I've just gotten so, I hear myself saying a lot, I'm so sorry. I'm so behind on my emails. And then simultaneously I'm like I just need to forgive myself because that there need somewhere needs to give and if that's it right now that's okay like I'm trying my best you know like that's it's a very hard thing to to do that's right well I I I just did a speaking engagement in Los Angeles on Tuesday and they were like how are you balancing it all and the (laughs) truth is is I'm really not I mean, I haven't had a consistent gym schedule for two solid years. Oh, and, girl, and, and thank it used God. to be, it used to be important <laughs> to me. You yes. know, like, 
it used to be important to me and it still is, but I've realized that I can't have it all right now. And so you've got to pick and choose what matters. And, you know, my kids, my, I have a five-year-old son and he's only going to be five once. And so I would much rather postpone the washboard abs, (laughs) you know, like spend time with him and washboard abs can come later. And my house is definitely not orderly and as clean as I would like it to be, but I'm just, I'm just getting by. The business is rocking and, you know, hopefully someday there will, you'll kind of be able to, to shift and readjust. And yep. the business is a lot more self-sufficient than it once was. Yeah. You know, there definitely are still fires to put out, but I don't have to hustle quite as hard as I once did. Yep. You know, in the beginning, I, I used to kiss butts for a living. <laughs> but like, oh, please give it a try and, you know, have a little faith. And where now I don't have to, to sell quite as hard where people, I've been saying it long enough that they're starting to hear it and it's starting to register. And yeah. so... By all means, everyone still does not love what I do, um, but I have to hustle a little bit harder and can devote energy to new things and new areas, and it, it's it's growing up. I mean, you can definitely see and feel the shift in the business that something is happening and things have changed from when we first got started. Yeah, oh, I love that. And that's so true, and I'm so glad that you are giving voice to that because like my... Um, I sort of have this like little vision, like I'm a very visual person um, in the sense of like, I have this vision that, you know, as I am working, I have two companies, the podcast is one and I have a local company as well. And so my job as an operator and as a, um, you know, as a visionary for one of the companies and an operator for both, like my job is just to like get them as organized as possible, as organized, more organized, more focused, more organized, more focused. And the the better job I do with that, the more I can breathe, you know, you know what I mean? That's and the more, right. The more exactly. I, can, I can kind of put some energy into the other um, elements of my life. You have to surrender to things. I totally get it because I would love to be, I was in really good shape when I started my business. I had just had a baby and I had had one of those Hollywood bounce back. I've worked really hard for that (laughs) Hollywood bounce back, but I loved it and felt good. And, and I now realize that you can't do it all. I mean, that was like a full-time job figuring out what am I going to eat and when am I going to work out and, you know, how are you going to clean up after you've just worked out that hard in the morning? I mean, it definitely changed the day where now it's a matter of, you know, get up and work and sweats in a ponytail and learn to get the kiddo from the bus stop and come back and, you know, back in the office and make dinner and, and clean up the dishes. And there's no time for that hardcore gym schedule like there once was. So. I, I agree. But oh, I love that. It will be there when I get back. Yeah. <laughs> Someday, <laughs> those washboard abs will eventually be calling my name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, let's go ahead and roll on into everything. Um, I just had a couple of questions before we get rolling. Where are you guys as far as the growth that you've had? Meaning where are you in revenue? Where are you as far as how big your team is now? So I have some sort of an idea of scale of growth. You know, it's it's interesting. We have a lot of contractors, so I don't have anybody on my payroll, gotcha. but I have people that are on Mark Cuban's payroll that I work with and utilize every single day. Nice. We have a very long list of contractors, so people that do all of our sourcing and our warehouse stuff and our fulfillment. And so everything has kind of been automated. Um, we have not broken the million-dollar mark yet, um, but I, I did the speaking engagement um, in LA on Tuesday. And from 2012, when I taped Shark Tank to the end of 2013, from when Shark Tank aired, we grew by just over 800%. So Ooh. we've grown considerably. We just launched in Europe. Um, we have deals that are going into Canada and Mexico um, that will take us there by the end of the year. So we are growing considerably. I mean, awesome. it's one of those things as I was preparing data for that speech, I realized, wow, I didn't realize 
we've we've come quite as far as we actually have. And I think what's maybe different about me than some of the other business people is is I'm pretty transparent. Where <laughs> like you you don't get a lot of smoke and mirrors with me. Like I'll tell you, like I'm getting my butt kicked here. Yeah. So going into Europe, it was it kicked my butt. It was really really awful and unbearable. But we survived it and we did it and we're here. I love that. And so I, I, I think for me. I like I like to take the mystery away. You know, so many people kind of thrive on that mystery because you never really know what's going on. Right. And when I when I started the business, I reached out to a couple of women who ran these really great successful companies, not competing with mine, but I thought we were going to have this sisterhood and support each other. And right. people wouldn't tell you anything. They wouldn't take any kind of time to talk or or explain things. And I promised myself at that time that if I was lucky enough to be successful, I was going to remove the veil and kind of talk about the journey and the growth. And, you know, in L.A., I told everyone, I my speech was a follow-up to John Paul DeJoria, the founder of Paul Mitchell. Yeah, wow. And so I was feeling... I was feeling pretty insecure that he's just got up here and inspired these 200 people. And now it's my turn. And I said, I'm, I'm kind of insecure because I'm still in the making it phase, but I've been doing this for long enough. You know, the products have been on the market for like three and a half years and I'm like, I'm still standing. I'm here. And I told my manufacturer the other day, um, I, you know, we're submitting another purchase order and we're starting to move a lot of product. And I said, I think that this might just, I said, I think I might just make it. And he said, I'm looking at your numbers and I think that you already have. He said, there are wow. different levels of making it. He said, but I think that you already have. And, you know, a place like that, they see a lot of people come through with a dream and the vast majority of them don't last or stay. And we're still standing. And so I, I always take opportunities like yours to kind of tell people that like, here's where we're at. Here's where we've been. Here's what we're, we're struggling with because somebody out there will, will, you know, they'll get it. They'll know. And it will make it normal for them. It, it normalizes the struggle because we all have it. And most people just aren't willing to acknowledge it. And to me, it's just a matter of, of paying it forward. I've been really lucky and had a lot of good luck, you know, good fortune. Shark tank fell in my lap and, I, I will never thumb my nose at that. And so this is my way of paying it forward and lifting the veil so that somebody else will go for it. Because if it can work for me, it can work for anybody. I love that. And that this is such a great fit because that's what this entire platform is really about is like, I don't want the success stories here. I really want, mm -hmm. I really want how you have, how you have done it on your journey. And that means all the ways that you've fallen on your butt. And it means all the ways that you've really had great successes and everything in between. And, um, and so yep. I, I'm, I'm, this is gonna be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And I really just want to roll right into it, because I'm going to make all of this live, because this is such a great conversation. So I want to know, okay, give, give people like, um, Give like just the basic kind of how you even started this company story. Okay. Um, this company started with a joke. My son was <laughs> born in 2000. Truly, I mean, I never thought this was going to be a business. My son was born in 2009 and he's a little boy and I was a junkie for hair bows and hats and things like that that little girls get. And so because boys don't get any of those things, I started mixing lotion with pomade just to give him a simple little curl on top of his head. Um, you need to have everywhere you, need to, my, you need to have sculpted something on him, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was, and it's nothing that I invented. I've seen pictures, you know, antique pictures of babies with this exact same look. So I just kind of give this little curl around my finger and would take him out in public. And everywhere we would go, people would stop and want to know what did you put in that baby's hair. So the grocery store or the mall at Target, everywhere we went, people it made people smile. 
And so after like 50 times, I looked at my husband and cracked this joke that somebody would be so smart to make a hair product for babies because one doesn't exist and people go nuts for this stuff. And he's a pretty business-minded guy, an entrepreneur at heart. He owns many businesses and has done really well. I come from the world of nine to five, so it was not the way that I thought about things. Um, But he started kind of pushing that, hey, you should look into that and see what it might entail. What would it cost and what would it require? And you should check into that. And I had just quit my job as a full-time social worker to be a stay-at-home mom. I was really quite pleased with the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom and was not looking for another project. But every time we would go out, we just could not escape this baby curl conversation. So around the same time, there was this article called No More Toxic Tub that was making the mom rounds, talking about the toxins and things like Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo and the contaminants that most people had no idea were in these formulas. And this article crossed my desk and I thought, well, maybe we could use this information as kind of a hook, you know, a way to to get some, some ground in the industry. So I thought... It's just so naive and silly. I thought at the beginning that I could do this company for five thousand dollars. <laughs> Where did you come up with that? I mean, Where did you come up with that? I, I just—it was just cute. I mean, just cute. Like, how much could it really cost? You know, I found a couple of formulators, and we can make you this for X amount of dollars. And calling in lots of favors. That can you please run a smaller run for me? And I just think it's just so cute and so silly um, because it was not at all realistic. But you have to embrace your naivety sometimes. And. So I I had product developed. I learned about ingredients and had some manufacturers make some test formulas for me. And people looked at me cross-eyed and they were kind of scared for me because I didn't know what I was doing. And this idea of, you know, mix a, a pomade for lotion with a lotion for a baby hair product just sounded kind of crazy. So after we had products, I Googled what a press release was supposed to look like and just wrote one of my own, just kind of take a stab in the dark at it. And I sent this press release out to some editor's information that I could find online. So, you know, editor at parentingmagazine.com. So not a direct contact, but I sent it out before bed. And I woke up the next morning with a response from the editor from Pregnancy and Newborn Magazine looking for samples and stating that if they liked them, they would be interested in including my concept in their magazine. So right out of the gate, we were featured as Pregnancy and Newborn's Crush of the Month. Wow. And just for reading the press release. Just, you know, just a stab in the dark. I just Googled what it was supposed to look like. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't have any connections and I just got lucky. So I think that was kind of the first sign that maybe this could work. And after we were in the magazine, people thought we were big. Um, What they didn't realize that it was just being run out of a corner in my house, out of a closet in my guest room. I mean, it was a really small operation, but it gave the illusion like we had made it. And it made it easy to sell because you as a salon owner or a boutique owner, you may not have heard of us, but we were in Pregnancy and Newborn Magazine and everyone says, oh my goodness. You could totally (laughs) leverage that, yeah. That exactly. And so it just, my story really is a series of very fortunate events. Um, I've, I've got lucky. And after we had the pregnancy and newborn feature, I became pretty obsessed with the idea. And so that was when I told my husband, I need more money. I, I can't do it on five grand. And I need, I'm prepared to spend a more significant amount of money because the, the magazine feature really gave me the reassurance that there is a market for this. People people bought the product after they saw it in the magazine, and it became much easier to sell. 
So it started with a joke, um, and with some good luck, it became an obsession. How were you actually going and making your sales? Like, did you have a website that you would put up and people could purchase that way? And when they got the website through the magazine, then they could just go directly to the website? Or were you like, yes. were you pounding the pavement and going to different salons and things like that? How were yes. you doing it? All of the above? Yes. Um, all of the above. So we had a website and most of our sales in the beginning came from the website. So someone just, you know, they see the, the web address in the magazine and they go and buy it there. I was also doing a lot of pavement pounding where I was going to local boutiques and salons and um, I had a rep group out of Dallas where they had a big trade show. And so I actually went to Dallas and sat for three days at this trade show and, and placed, sold the line myself into boutiques through the showroom. And then I also had some really nice marketing pieces made where I would call places and say, I would like to send you a gift. Would you please give me your name so that I can put it on the envelope? And I did it that way. And it's like anything, you throw a lot of stuff at the wall and you wait to see what sticks. Um, and most often... <laughs> You know, most of it doesn't, but you got some traction that way. And it really was just, you start small and you be patient. What, what did stick for you? Like, was there a specific niche where you found this type of salon will take it every day and they keep on ordering more and more and more or, or this type of marketing works over and over again? Like what did stick for you and what has stuck for you? Um, you know, what stuck for me in the beginning was what didn't work. And so I had this vision. It was 2000, let me see, it would have been 2011. And so I had this vision that it was going to be this really cool kind of unique product that was sold at high-end baby boutiques. And so in the beginning, that's where I thought we were going. And I thought somebody will go to this kind of cool mom-and-pop store. They're going to buy something for their kids. It's a great place to buy a gift. And, and what a perfect gift hair gel for a baby is. And we failed really badly. And it, I, I couldn't, I mean, we, we just got our butts kicked. It did not work. And I couldn't figure it out. And over time, after I asked a lot of questions, and I always felt really guilty that I've let these store owners down because they took a chance on me and it just wasn't working great. They could sell through it, but it was not retail magic. And so they could, they could eventually get rid of it. But I think the reason was because they had so many hourly employees. They had a lot of turnover, and so they would have a high school girl coming to run the cash register after school. And she didn't really know what she was selling. She was just going to sit there and, and run the register when someone brought her something, but she didn't have the training needed to sell the products well. And so our products really are very specific. They speak to a buyer um, who's health conscious, who's aware of the products and the ingredients of the products that they're using on their child. They also speak to someone who, who is looking for luxury, but they need someone oftentimes to explain why this is a good fit for you. And I think that those stores did not have the training to do that. Um, the salon approach kind of was born organically. Someone who was very successful in the industry had saw me online, saw my company or an interview or something, and had asked to set up a Skype session. And he said, I'm going to kick you a piece of free advice. He said, you need to get out of the children's boutiques. He said, this could work in the salon format. And he started explaining, you know, his background as a salon owner. He had owned like 40 salons or something. And he said, take my advice for what it's worth. But I think that you could have something here if you would shift your approach a bit. And it just made sense to me. And so we started that way. And it was a lot of, a lot of 
retraining the way that people think about their business and salon owners look at their business because there is a lot of revenue that they can capture that they may have not considered. And it's hard to be first because you tell somebody something and you let them chew on it for three weeks and by the time you've come back, they've forgotten what you've told them and you have to start from the beginning. So, so we kind of focused there but also decided to put our efforts on moms. I'm a social worker. I have a master's degree in social work and always thought I was going to spend my career as a therapist. Um, I did that because I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to connect with people. And so taking that skill set and applying it to buyers, I'm really good at talking to a mom and she can tell me what she's dealing with with her child and I can advise her of what's a good fit. And so we started trying to connect with moms instead of those salon business owners and pushing the demand from moms forward. So the mom would go to the salon and she now understands because we've exchanged 15 emails on Facebook or, you know, a mom group or, you know, a a mommy blogger where she's going to educate her followers. And we started driving the demand that way. And that seems, even still, that seems to be what's worked best for us, is educating the buyer and making them, you know, voice their demand for it within their salons. So... You had a pretty transitional moment in your business when you got onto Shark Tank. Um, Can you talk about why, like, were you focused on getting on the show or was it just sort of a happenstance that somebody suggested it to you? Like, how did you really say, I want to be on the show and here's why? It's interesting. I saw the show for the first time, I would say maybe four months. I mean, just a few months before I was actually cast for the show. I thought by accident we were flipping channels. We watched the first episode. Um, it was the, I want to draw a cat for you. So I instantly fell in love and, and Steve Gadlin has become a good friend and he's a wonderful person. But at the end of the show, I said, my husband said, you should be on that show. And I said, you know what? I think I will. And I, it, as weird as it sounds, I just kind of felt like I would. And so I continued to run my business and going about my path and everywhere I would turn, people kept saying, have you ever seen that show? You should get on that show. <laughs> I had made a little bit of money. It just, I just couldn't escape it. Similar to the baby hair curl and what product did you use to get that baby hair curl? So I think my story has some patterns. And um, my company had made a little bit of money. We had been featured in Parenting Magazine and we had done okay with the feature. And so I just was drawn to call this PR girl from Los Angeles and everyone I knew, my husband included said, it's not a very good business decision that you're calling her. You have a little bit of money in your bank and you should not immediately spend it. And for whatever reason, I was just inclined to call and work with her. So we cut a deal. She reduced her rate because she was a sweetheart. And I said, after 90 days, if you don't get me something big, I cannot afford to keep you. So at the end of the time, she worked really hard, but it's a niche product and it's, unique and it was a hard placement to make and so at the on the the 89th day I called to say I just want to let you know that I'm not going to be able to afford to keep you another month but I really appreciate everything and she said um have you ever seen that Shark Tank show I think if you could get on it you would be really great and I said yeah but who gets on that show I mean the likelihood of being cast for a show like that is not good And she called me less than 24 hours later, and she said, you're never going to believe it, but a producer called me, and they're looking for interesting baby and children's concepts, and we talked about you. Come on. How random. Seriously. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Talk about making the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. 
And so she said, if you're interested in doing it, here's the information. And so I still had to go through the casting process just like everybody else. I had to fill out the papers and do the video and the pitch. And, you know, there was a lot of uncertain factors in the process. But at least I had my foot in the door. I didn't have to camp on the street to get in front of somebody who made a decision. So it was it was just kind of like the magic moment. I had been cast for the show and was getting ready to fly to L.A. And I did a pre-interview with Rachel Olson of Best Mom Products, where she does um, like a taped YouTube interview. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, so I had done my pre-interview where we just have a a quick phone call to get to know each other so that when we, we record the interaction, we're familiar and you don't have to do that kind of small talk in the beginning. So we did this this pre-interview and right before we hung up she said have you ever seen that show and I said yeah so she said what do you think of that show and I said I think it's a great show and she I was not allowed to tell her that I was flying to Los Angeles the next morning to take that show and she said I just feel like if you could get on it you would be great she said I think that there's something about your story and your energy and your product and I think you would be great and so I flew, I thought, oh, that's not a good sign. I don't know what is. Yeah, no kidding. So I flew to Los Angeles the next day and taped the show and got a deal. It went great and came home and, and recorded Rachel's interview. And I, I was bursting at the seams because I had such big news. I just got a deal from Mark Cuban and I wasn't allowed to, to say a peep. And so I, when she was talking about how much money did you put in the business to start, I just let it all come out because I had said it all in the shark tank about there is, there are no more secrets here. And so it was just a really, I'm one of those kind of crazy people where I just felt like this was for me. And I don't know why. I don't know if, if it was meant for me because I'm meant to change the hair industry or it's because for whatever reason, I have the ability to kind of lift the veil and, and encourage other women to give it a shot. So I don't know why this is meant for me yet, but I, I think it was meant for me. Now, you ended up getting the deal with Mark Cuban. What was the exact deal that you got? I asked, I, you know, I just watched the episode the other day. I asked for $50,000 for 15% of my business. And the truth is, is I asked for that because I was supposed to ask for something. And my business was small and it was growing at an organic rate that I could handle. But after getting to L.A., I realized that if, if I actually make it on this TV show, I badly need the money because I don't have the, the money to, to grow at the clip that the exposure of seven and a half million people will require. So he ended up buying 40% of my business for $75,000. And I didn't even negotiate. I was so genuinely shocked that he wanted to get into business with me because I really lacked sales and credibility. And I was just in there from an authentic standpoint, selling an idea. And I never really, I don't know what I expected, but I was sincerely shocked when he said, let's do this. And, and, when it came time to negotiate my deal, my deal, I got no funny business. I got exactly what I was promised on camera. There were no renegotiations. I mean, it was a pretty straightforward exchange. So I'm, I'm still shocked. That's Years pre- later, I'm still shocked that it worked out that way. That's pretty – actually, as I'm thinking about it, I've had one other guest on the show who had done a deal with Mark Cuban, and they said the same thing, um, if I'm remembering this correctly, that they got the exact deal that they said on the show. Every other Shark Tank person – has said that the deal changed somehow. Either it didn't go through or it got completely renegotiated. That's uh, very interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's true for all of his people, but what what have the realities been like working with him after the fact? 
Um, you know, it's it's interesting because it's hard to differentiate, you know, what's from Mark and what's from the TV show. He is a, a very business-minded, you know, direct kind of guy. So we do not email and chat about, you know, what are you doing this weekend and how are the kiddos. It's very brief. It's very short. Um, but it's it's been a great learning experience for me. Um, I just saw him in July at an event in Las Vegas. He was the keynote speaker at a beauty event and was very kind and, and talked about his three companies. Um, all three of us are from Shark Tank. So he talked about his three beauty companies and um, it was nice. But he said, I am busy and I tell my entrepreneurs to just give me the bad news first and give me the, the down and dirty. And it has been, it's been really great. He has a team and as Shark Tank has grown. His team has grown. And so he's got some really great people on his team that are connected and knowledgeable and, and can help and assist. And it's it's been amazing working with him. Um, but at this event in Las Vegas, someone said, they came to the booth and they said, is Mark here? And I said, no, he's been here, but I think he's gone for the afternoon. And they said, oh, they said, how is it working with him? And I said, it's great. And they said, do you know what he has done for your resume? And I had never thought about it in that regard, um, but he really has. Now that people know he is involved with the company, I don't have to explain to people that I didn't make hair gel in the kitchen sink anymore. Right. It's just kind of a given. <laughs> Where I, It never was made in the kitchen sink, um, but people always believed that because they really couldn't wrap their brain around a social worker mom selling kids hair products. Where now they know that Mark's involved Nobody ever even assumes that, which is very nice. So they take so you seriously helped. by because they take they him do. seriously, right? He has helped with credibility. Where where did that seventy five thousand dollars go? Testing. Um, I in the beginning I thought we'll just do you know a, a new a nicer newer website and we'll make some inventory even though we had plenty of inventory and in my Shark Tank experience he has a child who has severe eczema and so he was concerned about the testing and we want to make sure that if we're putting kids products out there that we can verify that they're safe um, so in the Shark Tank I was very very nervous he asked about testing and I said I know an optical test is. Ten or $15,000. I can't remember what I said. Um, but I was so nervous, I didn't specify that we have to times that by eight because we have eight products in the line. So the money he gave went to testing and then more money went to test. The money we made from Shark Tank also went to testing. So last calendar year alone, we spent over $100,000 testing the formulas wow. um, to verify that they're safe and they're gentle and they do what they say and the last on a shelf and all of those good things. And it's been a really expensive endeavor, but we just launched in Europe and the toxicologist who did all of my documents said, I've never seen a company your size have as much data as you do. And wow. I thought that's a, that's a huge advantage. The labeling requirements in the cosmetic industry, it's kind of like the wild west where we know what, what's expected, but you're only in trouble if they catch you. And there's really nobody policing the industry. So we've gone to great lengths to play by the rules, anything. we The term hypoallergenic is used really loosely, but we didn't use the term hypoallergenic until we had allergy testing where we could not induce an allergy. So we have tried to play fair, and I always feel like if and when the FDA steps in and they're going to crack down on all of these companies that have been greenwashed so badly, um, we're not going to embarrass ourselves. We have the data to back up everything that we've said, and um, so that was where his money went. Um, that was where his 
his business sense advised us that we needed to be. And I think it was a good decision in hindsight. Now, do you, does this mean that you have access to him as a business partner for anything? Or does it mean that he, you know, he can only, like you only really have access to him according to maybe the testing component because that's where his money went? Or can you like tap on his shoulder and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this big thing. What do you think? Oh, yes, ma'am. I have access to him. He is, he owns 40% of the company. And so I have access to him in all regards. So, you know, when we were spending all of the money for testing, I kept him pretty informed. You know, we just wrote a $40,000 check and I would assume he would want to know what was the outcome of that. Right. So he, he, he and I email every week. I send a weekly update and sometimes he responds and sometimes he doesn't, you know, sometimes it doesn't really warrant a response, but if we have a problem and I, I need, I need some advice or direction, he always is there. Um, it's, it's really nice because he has a good barometer. He's been in, in business for a long time and he knows what works and what doesn't. And, um, I have access to him and anything that we would need. Megan, throughout this amazing journey, what is, what's been one of the, probably the lowest moments that you've had and how did you get through it? You know, the truth is, is when we were in the van to take Shark Tank, we were all kind of chatting and everyone's nervous and and we were talking that someone in the van is going to make it big. One of us is going to be like an overnight millionaire. And I secretly thought to myself, it's going to be me. I just felt like this was my moment. And um, post Shark Tank, we made more money the month my episode was on TV than I had made in an entire year as my job as a social worker. Wow. But we did not break the million dollar mark. And after that, I, I kind of went into this dark place because I thought we had failed. I felt like, you know, you see the updates on Shark Tank where they made a million dollars in three weeks or four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. And I thought we didn't break that mark and, and that must mean that this is not going to work. And so it was a sad moment for me. Um, funny enough, in the van who partic- partook in that conversation was the Wicked Good Cupcake Girls oh, who yeah. are rock stars. And oh, they yeah. were the winners. I mean, they were the winners in the van. <laughs> they they just, they hit a home run. And it couldn't have happened to a sweeter bunch of ladies. I mean, they really, they have a great product and deserve it. But after the darkness, um, a mentor said to me, they kind of shook me by the shoulders and and he said, if this were easy, everyone would do it, you know. And and I thought that that was so perfect and fitting in that moment. I gave a, a speech in L.A. a few days ago and talked how, about how comparison is the thief of joy. And I think I kind of got stuck where I was, I had expectations and I was comparing my journey to someone else's and feeling like it was wrong because they weren't the same. And so you really kind of find your footing and you reevaluate and you start thinking that we just made more money in 30 days than I made in 365 last year. That's not failure. That just means we're going at our own pace. So from 2012 to 2013, the company grew by just over 800%. Um, so not failure in any sense. Yeah, and incredible. I just had to kind of reevaluate and reassess um, that this is going to happen in the time that it's meant to happen in. And you just have to sit back and do your best and work at it every day and be grateful for the progress that you are making. So Now, you are um, going international with your products. Can you yes. can you talk a little bit about the logistics of that? Like what what does that truly take to make sure that a product can get into international markets? I mean, I I would tell you an all truthfulness, it was the worst experience that I have ever oh, no. 
it was really difficult, and um, I have I have a team of people who work and help for us um, to get into Europe. The cosmetic regulations in Europe are much stricter than they are in the United States. I knew early on that we need to plan ahead, and so the products were formulated to meet European requirements. Um, but once once you're ready to go in, you have to prove that they meet them. So I had a toxicologist. Um, it's very, very expensive to have the reports written and all of the necessary changes, you know, labeling changes and label translations and all sorts of things that most people don't think of. It was very expensive. I had a toxicologist um, who was my angel. She was helpful and, and wonderful and did it and, and did it in a way that it fit a small company like my budget. Um, but there was lots of lots of headache and drama, and um, it, it was really difficult. But we survived. We are there, and we are growing, and it's really amazing. Someone sent me a picture of a, a Polish child with curly hair walking down the street wearing our product the other day. That's so and it's cute. pretty amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing because it's this adorable little neighborhood and that you are a part of this child's experience, and it's, it's pretty cool. It was that. worth the hassle and the headache. Well, Megan, I want to to finish this segment off. I want to transition into our final segment, which is your favorite five. And I did not prepare you for this, but we're going to go into it. Ready? So I'm going to ask you five of your favorite things and just go off of the top of your head on what it is. Ready? Okay. Okay. So what is your favorite business tool? An iPhone. <laughs> because it allows you to be connected at any time. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, perfect. Um, what is your favorite book? In general, it's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it talks about finding meaning and purpose in your suffering. And so I read it years ago as I was becoming a social worker. And I think a lot of the theories and, and kind of the ideas translate to business because it's really hard, but it's it's there to teach you something. I also recently read The Glitter Plan, um, the story of Juicy Couture, and thought it was pretty great, and Girl Boss. So those are more business-minded books that I've recently read, um, but Man's Search for Meaning is my, my favorite in general. All right. How about one of your favorite play dates with your son? Oh, you know, we actually sit on the back porch and eat popsicles. Um, because he just talks, and I think it's really wonderful. And there's something about popsicles that just kind of open him right up. And so we sit back there, and we will shoot the breeze. Um, he calls it, we like to chit-chat. And so we'll sit on the back porch with a popsicle and chit-chat for an hour, and I think it's just heaven on earth. That's so cute. And he's five years old now, right? Yeah, he just started kindergarten, so he has a lot to say. And he has a <laughs> list, so everything that he says is just cuter than it would have been normally. So... I hope that they never take that list away, but I know it's coming. Um, what is your favorite baby resource or like kid resource? Uh, you know, I think the parenting.com website is really great because they have a variety of resources. And so they have everything from developmental stuff, which a lot of moms like to craft. Um, I also like, um, the different magazines. So, you know, Parenting Magazine and Pregnancy and Newborn. And I really love Babykins. Um, Babykins is a fashion magazine for kids, but they also have some crafts and some tips. And I think in terms of style inspiration, you, will, you won't find a better resource than Babykins Magazine. And how about your favorite moment of the day? 
when my kids go to bed and I get to close the door in my room and I get to watch Mad Men. I'm completely obsessed with Mad Men these days. And so it's like that, that short time frame where it's, it's my time. It's quiet and it's my time and I get to get sucked into the Mad Men story and I'm, I'm watching the whole series on Netflix. So I really like that because it's the one moment where there's, there's nothing left to do. Like it's just my time. Well, Megan, I really want to say thank you so much for being here and just for having such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate the opportunity and let's chat again sometime. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Megan. She was just a rock star. Totally loved getting to know her and uh, really loved just how open she was about everything and her philosophy behind that. Thanks so much for being here, and I will see you on the next episode. Can we re-record this part? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are we live? Are yeah. we live? No, like, it's not live. Don't worry. No, don't worry about it.